Welcome to Orion Valley. Hello, film watchers. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Our deep dive into film adaptations of Broadway musicals continues with Broadway's own Stacey Morgan Lewis to talk about possibly the greatest musical of all time, West Side Story. Just a quick little disclaimer, this episode and the next may sound a little different in terms of sound quality. This is because we've been recording episodes over Zencaster. We were still getting used to the software at this time, but the conversations are just as good as they usually are. So please enjoy. Okay, Stacey Morgan Lewis is on the show today. We're going to be talking about West Side Story. Very excited. This one's really special. I think to both of us. Before we get into that, I was just curious, you know, this is a, a film podcast, but it's obviously all about theater and what musical theater has done to us in our lives. So I was just wondering what your, how you initially got into theater and what your relationship with theater has been uh, since you first discovered it. I love that question, Josh. Um, so I, you know, I started out dancing. And when I was um, about eight years old, I took a summer camp and there was a part of the dance camp, there was an acting segment. And the director after that summer had called my mom and said, you should have Stacy come audition for this local theater group. So when I was eight years old, I auditioned for a play called The Innocents. <laughs> Very, it was British and old fashioned and spooky. And so anyway, I was eight years old and I got the part. And my mom actually later, many years later, tells the story of, you know, when the director called and said, you know, we want Stacy to do it. My mom was like, oh, crap. Just like another thing to <laughs> add to our schedule. But that was my intro to it. And I loved it. So I had dance. I had, I had theater. And then it seemed sort of the natural like curveball to throw, you know, music in. I played the piano. And then I was probably in middle school when I did my first musical. I did, oh gosh, what was it? Guys and Dolls, Guys and Dolls. I had missed the audition. And the director, like I, 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 I think I was in sixth grade and the, you know, I missed the whole thing. <laughs> Classic <laughs> move. And then I did... Um, and I can't remember which order it was Peter Pan or Oliver, but I did Peter Pan and Oliver. I played Peter Pan in Peter Pan. Nice. I mean, you know, once, once your theater is just like this completely welcoming world of individuals and the imagination. And so that was it for me. I was in. Mm -hmm. I love the natural progression of that. Are you like, okay, started with dance and yeah. then you started to get into acting a little bit and then music came along and then just kind of formed. Musical theater is such an interesting world to be exposed to when you're so young. And we yeah. talked about this on the Fiddler on the Roof episode that it almost seems like that's the best way to get someone into it when they're so young because of the impression that films can leave or that yeah. um, musicals can leave on youth. Like I said, I, like my experience, like when I saw like Grease, the, the producers and Little Shop were the three that like really got me into it when I was very young. So it was just kind of instant for me. Yeah. Were you at all like immediately noticed how welcoming it was or did it feel like scary or intimidating at first? Yeah, for me, it felt like a, like a welcoming committee. I was just like, like, I was just like wrapped into it. And I don't know if it was also because I was so young and 
there were, you know, when I did initially community theater, I was in shows where there were adults. So I think that's also quite different than maybe starting, but being just in a, not to say that you're not completely included as like a kid with a group of kids, but I was embraced by this group of adults as well. I'm like thinking about it, it's an interesting question. Like, I don't know if that also just like somehow made me feel special in some way. I don't know. That's like, no, that's super interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's not until then I'm doing it in middle, middle school that I'm like, Oh wow. Now I'm with all these kids. I always say I'm a little bit weird and weird is special and weird is unique. And it's that thing that kind of push, pushes you forward. I, I'm like, let's all strive to be a little bit weird you know, a little left of center. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's a compliment. And so it felt like I could, I could be that. And I was allowed to be that. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I love that. I I like the idea of like starting in community theater with adults and then moving into like your own age group, because it feels like you, like you said, you feel a little bit more special, like, Oh, there's like, you know, you're just surrounded by adults and everyone, you know, loves like this little kid. It's like anyone playing Gavroche in a local community theater, Les Mis or something like that. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's that kind of dynamic. And then with, you know, your own age group, I always felt like as much as I loved it at times, it was like, oh, I kind of feel like I have to step up and like really try and be as good as I possibly can. And I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for that. But they are like, obviously, very two different dynamics. But that like I said, that's kind of one of the, the power of theater, and just the idea of how intimate it is. And you form a bond with your fellow castmates, and you can leave that impression on others. Yeah. And you know what, Josh, what's incredible is like you, Mm. you get every group that, you know, dynamic and sure I can look back and say, Oh gosh, that one was like stronger or I loved this cast even more. But time after time, the ability to adapt, we have to adapt right? Like you're adapting Mm. to a character. Okay. There's that whole sense, like the, the actual play or musical itself. But as a human with this group of people, you're building these relationships, this adaptation to this particular group in this particular time, you know, and mm-hmm. then the skill set of constantly shifting and, and adapting, whether you're you know, doing it in middle school or high school or college where you might spend a few months on it or a long term show, you know, a national tour or a Broadway show. And you're having these longer built relationships. So that part is not only like an amazing lesson for any human, adult or child, but that's like one of the things super special things about theater. I always think that film is definitely my main passion, but musical theater is a second passion because of there's so many different things that you can do with a story that is told on stage as opposed to film. Now that also being said, I feel that there is an undeniable distance between film and theater that I don't think should be as wide as it is. I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of times people think that the two can't necessarily mesh together. That's kind of why we're doing this series is to show that that can't happen. But that being said, what to you, what do you feel is the biggest difference between telling a story in theater and telling a story in film? And do you have a strong relationship with film? I mean, I I would say I have a stronger relationship with theater. Mm -hmm. That being said, I have done film and um, I have not done a musical on film. So the thing about, theater is on stage, right? Is there's the sense, the sense of grandiose. And I don't mean as in like you're acting over the top, mm-hmm. but just that you're filling this massive. And I mean, I'm saying that, right? Not all houses of theater are massive places, but you're filling this large expansive place. 
And even if the theater might be smaller, right, you're filling it wall to wall. And so I think that translation has to be quite difficult because also when these musicals are written, and again, I think, you know, they're writing them for a sense of stage. Sure, they're thinking, oh, and I'm not saying, and, and maybe now there are different moments, right? Like someone is like, I'm writing this for the film. But if we're thinking of like the large spectrum of these stage shows and, and so then, yeah, how, do, how are they going to translate this, these larger than life um, ideas and that whole idea of a singing a song, right? It's, the, the song is happening because the moment is so big inside that there's no other way to explain it but to sing it, mm-hmm. you know? And so how can that still come across as genuine on film? And I, I think that's like the, the tricky fine line. And if I'm being super honest, not and I don't feel the same way about what I would call like old movie musicals, but newer musicals, sometimes I have a harder time grappling with them as, as a movie musical. And maybe that's why. It's hard to sell that. Like it, it's very hard on film, at least. It's, it's very difficult, I feel, to sell the genuine feeling of someone just breaking out into song. Not that it is not possible. Right. It just is much more difficult yeah. because you feel that the beauty of theater is that it is very immersive. Like you step into the whatever theater, whether it's a touring thing or on Broadway or even just a community theater, and you see the set and the lights go down and it's happening right in front of you. Yeah. And, you know, that wall is broken. Yeah. Whereas with film, I mean, there's obviously a sense of realism attached to it, but yeah. there's 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 a disconnect in, in in some way. So having the audience kind of come on board and being like, okay, this is how you know, they're going to express themselves. We're not used to seeing that on film, especially with different camera angles and movements. It's, it's, it's difficult to sell that. Not to say that it can't be done. Obviously, it, it definitely can. But yeah. it, it makes it a little bit, um, it's more of a challenge. So, yeah. I mean, I always, I tip my hat to anyone who wants to try, but it, no film adaptation of a musical it's not, it's not a direct adaptation. There's, you're, you're going to lose some stuff. You have to, and you have to adapt it, which is you yeah. know, where we get into with West Side Story. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's so much to talk about because, I mean, it's one of the most iconic musicals of all time. Easily. Everyone knows it. And it's one that I feel that gets a lot of exposure for people interested in musical theater early on. Yes. Would you, would you agree? I would absolutely agree. It's just a classic the storytelling, the music, the lyrics, the movement, by far one of my favorites. It's definitely a top 10 for me. And as I was watching this, I was even like, and maybe this is too big of a question to ask right now, but it's, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was thinking to myself, like, is this the greatest musical like, of all time because of how iconic and how still timeless it is and just all of the elements that come together for this movie and just the show in general and that it's completely a contender. Like I'd be curious to see like what other, what else, you know, makes that, makes that bucket. But man, I would say a thousand percent it's a contender. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's definitely on the short list. I don't know. There are so many things to just marvel at with the show and how, you know, it's an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet Probably yeah. one of the more, if not the most successful adaptation of that. Yeah. Um, because in my opinion, I find Romeo and Juliet 
just to be kind of boring personally, but <laughs> I, I love the translation. I love oh. what they changed and they made it. So it's, it's so engaging. Yeah. Like the way that like the choreography and the story just kind of comes together. It's very filled with emotion. Yeah. Do you think that the first time that you watched this, whether the, the show or the movie, well, I guess I'll ask that. How were you first exposed to the show? Did you see it on stage or did you see the film? Josh, I was in it. <laughs> I know you said <laughs> No, but that was, that was my first exposure <laughs> to it, was being in it as a sophomore in high school. So I was 15, 16 years old. And I had, of course, heard of it. <gasps> you know what? I'm literally having a flash right now. <laughs> no, you know what? I think I did at camp. And that camp may have been like a season or two before that, where I was exposed to, we did the Jet song and we did choreography, some original choreography. So that actually might have been my, like hearing that music for the first time. And I, like, when I saw that movement, the choreographer teach us this movement. And I was like, what? Like, oh my, like that movement was incredible. So that, if I'm being honest, I'm thinking that, Timeline wise, that was probably my first introduction. And then as a sh the complete entity of the show would have been in high school, which is like a bear of a thing to take on in high school. And yet that's how old these kids are meant to be really, you mm -hmm. know, 17 years old. So it was like an incredible experience. I mean, I was deeply moved as a kid in high school, taking on this material and ch certainly challenged by it. And I'll tell you something funny. <laughs> This is what I remember is that they were looking for boys to dance in the show. I mean, there's a, a bunch of boys in the show, obviously, anyway, but they wanted like a good number of, of boys. And my brother was a senior. He is a scientist now and he was a soccer player. And I was like, please, please, they need. And he was like, no, no, no. And I said, I'm going to get the choreographer to ask you to ask all the boys on the varsity soccer team. And we got them. <laughs> it was uh, amazing. Wow. They, yeah. They taught them how to dance. And it was incredible. Wow. That's yeah. actually really inspiring because like there's such a, talk about a bigger disconnect between sports and theater. They're so far apart, I feel at, at times. But like our high school just did Mamma Mia uh, last year and they got all the football team to come in and be mm -hmm. there. And it's like, I feel like if you actually like show athletes what musical theater is doing they'll actually they'll be like oh okay this is actually very cool and oh, for sure because it's that it's that same camaraderie mm -hmm. you know they like that sense of camaraderie and team and stuff like that 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 same spirit so I did it in high school and then I actually did after I graduated college it was my first I can't say it was my first professional show but it was the first it was the show that got me my equity card mm -hmm. and the first job I got upon graduation I had gone to an open call and did a run. I think it was about four, five, six months. So I got to do it to do it again. Quite, quite a bigger scale. Uh, much bigger scale, and you know, it was like someone that had danced with Jerome Robbins was choreographing it, and people that had been in on you know in revivals of West Side Story. And anyway, it was it was incredible. Quite the jump from doing it to high school to doing yeah. a, a professional version. <laughs> 
was um in, in in doing that you said that you were um Maria in high school yeah. how was how was the process of creating the character whether Maria or who did you say you played when you did it professionally when i did it professionally i was terracita <laughs> one of the sharp ah. girls and i understudied mm. anybody's oh okay how how different was it for the evolution of that production compared to a obviously a smaller scale high school um in creating the character and bringing the source material to life did you find that you were uh, more tentative to certain aspects of the story or the character mm. i mean certainly learning the choreography with professional dancers all around me naturally the rise to to meet that was like exceptional, you know, so not mm -hmm. n no judgment on the, on the soccer players. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, I mean, Maria really, when I was Maria, Maria doesn't really dance, mm -hmm. um, you know, very much at all. So that was a completely different experience than getting like a big chunk of dancing and movement, you know, and, and one of the things that was interesting that I, and I still think about it to this day is right. I mean, I am not, Latina. And here I was cast as, you know, a Puerto Rican. And, you know, what does that, what does that mean? And, and, and in high school, I can understand in a setting where I am where I am, and it's just this finite pool of people. But in a larger sort of setting, it's kind of interesting that. And I remember kind of grappling with it a little bit and just sort of feeling like, is this, is this right? And I'm obviously going to do it to the best of my ability. There was, there was sort of that in the, th in the thinking about it at the time. And, and that's what's interesting about these new iterations that have, you know, continually come out is that I do feel like they have leaned into like, well, let's cast people who are actually Latina and Puerto Rican. And, you know, in that one revival, and I think it was 09, let's change some of the lyrics into Spanish and see what that looks like. And, and I think that's all right, correct, since the show is so much about that intolerance and so like let's live it for real let's have it for real yeah and that that is a very predominant feature of of the show is that message and the racial tensions between the two groups and there's been a lot of debate about the representation in the film and of the show and how it's relevant and which um i think we should get into maybe a little bit later because it's definitely a big conversation to have yeah. um the show speaks volumes across age groups and demographics, I feel. And um, like, yeah. like I said earlier, that I feel like a lot of people get exposed to it early on. I had known a couple of the songs growing up from musical theater, but I had never actually seen it until I think I was, I think I was about 15. Um, my high school marching band was doing our field show. It was called Tonight. So it yeah. was all songs that had Tonight in them. And okay. Tonight from West Side Story was one yeah. of them. And so when I had heard it, like I, it was so embedded in my mind, that song. So yeah. when I saw it, actually in context with the show i was like oh wow this is actually this makes so much more sense and it it, it hits um harder and then i didn't actually see so i saw the film first and then i saw uh, a live production of it just a local production like two years two years later or so yeah and as faithful as the movie is they do operate and work on two completely different playing fields on on stage and on screen and it's it's a very very well made adaptation i feel like technically i, I, I i'm in like, <laughs> yeah, the, like that. the idea that like you know they have the freedom to move from location to location because i mean there's a lot of locations in the show and so yeah. like they have to change the set but in right. the film it's like okay we can actually be on this stage and in this space and it and it feels real like i i love that yeah about it. 
So before we deep dive into the movie, what we like, what we don't like, this movie is obviously very has been very well received for many years, and yeah. has, as we've talked about, been a staple of musical theater. What does this show or this film with this source material say about us as theater film goers? Because I feel yeah. like we're always looking for a specific experience with with musicals and to have a, a particular reaction. And rewatching this this movie actually just yesterday, there were things that I had forgotten and the messages actually surface much harder. I was actually surprised at what this show had to had to say and what the actual purpose of it was. What can we learn from it? What what does it say about us as an audience? Well, a couple things. I mean, one is like sort of a general a general sweep before getting into like super hot topics. But I mean, I think it does say that everybody does love a love story. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, like a classic love story. And then of course, at that, this is a doomed love story. Mm-hmm. And if most people at the time probably were going into it knowing, I mean, actually, it would be interesting to know, like in 1957, when it's opening on Broadway, are people knowing they're going into it, knowing they're going into a remake of Romeo and Juliet? I don't know. Like if, you know, there's any, you know, anything in the playbill about that. I, I, I don't know. So my sort of sensibility too, is at least like once, once some reviews and stuff where people know they're going in to see a doomed love story, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's still like an attraction to that. Like that's timeless. And so the other thing that draws us to it, right, is I would say particularly theater people too, is that the sense of intolerance this sort of topic of, you know, hate begets hate. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm getting into deep themes of the show, but I mean, I think like that's not understanding someone's like other people's cultures. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's coming from a place of fear. Some of it's just like not knowing ignorance, but it can certainly come from a a sense of fear, a sense of unknowing. Obviously there are people who are not, but as open as people are, you can start to see those things and then question yourself like, Oh, well, how, how I'm like, what am I not, what am I not accepting of? What is that? What is that? Like that crossing line where it's okay. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's kind of one of the reasons why this show has continually stayed relevant and has garnered so many revivals and the fact that they're even remaking the film for later this year. Yeah. I feel like, you know, we have a big intolerance and hate issue in our, in our country right now, which was something that had jumped out again that had jumped out at me while watching it I that hadn't necessarily left an impression on me as the first time I've watched it because mm. fir- I feel like the first time you watch it it's just like oh th- this is actually like the way that the camera moves and the way that the songs are directed and how they're choreographed is yeah, it's like, choreography, it's a, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just it hits you immediately and that's kind of like what you remember yeah. walking walking away from it and then and also I, I feel like now just in you know in 2020 the themes of hatred against groups and oh yeah what what these what these two groups are doing like either side actually both of them are wrong in what they're doing like you shouldn't be like yes rumble let's go <laughs> um even though it's like kind of cool to watch because of the way that it's choreographed you kind of you you're with tony that you're like oh this is actually dumb we shouldn't be doing this this is a really bad idea yeah and i I was actually kind of struck by that last night watching it. I, I thought like, that. see, this is why I love that 
it's real. Yeah, for sure. And they know what's as much as I have this relationship. And I don't remember the first time I did just rewatch the movie, but I don't remember the first time I saw the movie. I could not honestly tell you. But what I was struck with after watching two things. One was I did not remember how biased and how much of a bigot Lieutenant Trank is. Mm-hmm. I did not remember that mm-hmm. that he was net like nasty. Not just yeah. trying to like you know be a police officer and keep people safe, but was actually really biased to one side. Right. Yeah. I did not remember that. So that was like an interesting, like, Ooh, aha. And then the other for me was, and we can talk more like when we talk about like character breakdown or if you want to talk about that, but Anita and the convincing, you know, so her, her, her boyfriend has been killed and then she still, she understands what love, I mean, that, right? Like she understands so much what love feels like that she's willing to still help Maria get together with the person that killed her boyfriend. And then that devastating, horrible turn that happens in Mm -hmm. Doc's store. Right. Oh my God. That was like so deep for me. I I definitely agree. I I had forgotten about that section of the film somehow it's very very disturbing but it's striking for it for a reason and i think the second act is just so strong especially with the way that they you know move the songs around from the original play is yes. very good there are many good decisions made um but the one thing i want to say really quick was that i love that this movie is very clearly like a, a, a great representation of 1960s Hollywood, the golden age of Hollywood, where you had, you know, studios like United Artists making big, like big budget epic musicals. Music, and there's yeah. so there's so much of that time in this in this movie. I feel like it's just a golden example of it because of, you know, e- even the fact that everyone is lip syncing in the movie is kind of like it's kind of charming to see in some way, but like the way that the camera is moving and has these sweeping shots and again, the, the all the wides and the, the way that the colors, but like it just screams classic Hollywood love story slash musical to me. Yeah. And it, it takes you back. You're like, I mean, I know they wouldn't make this movie like this today, obviously, yeah. but I love kind of being transported back to that. And yeah. it's so reminiscent of that time. And it re- it's yes, it is. You know what, like that, um, you know, that row, like where they're in the alley and there's that row of doors, like colored Mm -hmm. doors. Do you know what I mean? Like it's sort of, I think it's the back of Doc's store, Mm -hmm. that alley. And then on the other side of the screen, there's like just a row of doors. Mm -hmm. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I can picture it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so beautiful. The the color palette along that door, even as dark because it's, it's all darkly lit and, Mm -hmm gray you know the gray but then the colors of the costumes are like it is beautiful yeah with that let's get into the critical breakdown let's get it josh let's get it (laughs) i think we should just go full on i mean the choreography is some of the best that you'll ever see on on screen or on stage it's become iconic at this point uh just the way that they do the opening uh, just in the direction and the choreography and the blocking is so brilliant. Like, and also this movie has so many iconic moments that have kind of worked their way into the American lexicon. Like, I mean, not even just the way we speak. Like, whenever you, 
the snap, the use like of the everyone, snap throughout, amazing. Yeah, and everyone knows that and like relates it, you know, to the opening of West Side Story and like how it they brilliantly just like go from their walking and snapping and then they break into dance and then like how they dance is actually their like they fight when they dance yes. and it's actually conflict through choreography and it's it's brilliant like honestly it's, it's just some amazing yeah. visual yeah there was this incredible thing about you know these people these actors you had to sing dance but you had to really act mm-hmm. you know and 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 that sounds so silly because you're like well but like you, you couldn't separate these these things out, and that's like the brilliance of this choreography. And it's so tight. And here you have these incredible and and not to undermine any female dancers, but these male dancers and this masculine that has to be so tight, you know. And then they're doing these with their legs, and their legs are up, but somehow it's just seamless mm-hmm. and. There's never a moment for me in the choreography, even looking at like a, something from the 60s where like we're talking this like iconic, you know, dance. I'm not like, oh, I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. The dance, I buy all the way. Yeah, absolutely. And just, again, it's like it's physical expression. Like I love the, there's like a quick moment. I can't remember who it is, but like one jet and one shark are fighting and like one spits at him, but does it in a like yes. kind of physical movement. And then he yes. catches it and then he like yes. dives on him. Yes. But then they roll. Like, I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Mm. And he does like a, uh, a, ki- uh, a kip up. I think it's yeah. called or yeah. Bing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like incredible. Or like there's a part where again, I, I can't remember if it was riff and he's sitting up like on a pole talking to them. And then he just hooks his knees on like casually flings him, does like a, you know, a fling around, yeah. Flip just lands on the floor. But there's no break in, you know, oh, I'm doing this move. It's just I happen to be getting off this apparatus and we're still having this conversation. Yeah. It's incredible. It, 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 they set the bar so high in the beginning, right? Oh. You're like, okay, so is it gonna be like as good as this? And they continually like you can't deny that the dance scene at the dance when Tony and Maria first meet is just like incredible with the mambo and the circle and just, I just love the conflict and you can totally tell. I mean, even the fact that the sharks and the jets again have become part of the American lexicon, it is a classic conflict that we recognize these two opposing groups Totally. And you feel the conflict like in the beginning, like I, I also didn't realize the fact that this movie takes place over the course of like three days or something like that. But the opening, you could get the sense that they had been fighting for like two years. The tension in the music, the tension mm-hmm. in the music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, fantastic. Yes. You get the sense that it's like this, this conflict did not start yesterday. Mm-hmm. They've been sitting on this hot bed. I mean, it's ridiculous how incredible that choreography and the music and the lyrics, how they came together in such an incredible way. And that's a good thing to bring up, too, because, you know, we want to talk about how this movie was adapted. And what's interesting is that not only in the direction of Robert Weiss and uh, Richard Jobins, who are just two brilliant directors for this. They were able to get into each room and ha- use the space very well, but they changed the order of some yeah. of the songs from the show to the movie, which I thought their changes made sense. 
Yes, very much so. They have Officer Krupke before the Rumble, and then they have Cool Cool after the after. Rumble, Correct. which I, I feel like just makes complete sense. sense. It does make sense. And apparently Sondheim never liked that in the live performance. He was never happy with where that was because he was like, why are they laughing after? And you can, you know, I think, I think theatrically you can make sense of it in the sense, in the, in the way of like the nerves and everything is so amped up that, you know, it gets to a state of hysteria. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a way to buy it, but I, I believe more that that switch made fantastic sense. And you could kind of see, I mean, the rumble is pretty brutal. And when they do cool, it makes sense that they are jazzed up and are just like filled full of adrenaline because of like what, you know, what just happened and, and just watching, I I can't remember who actually sings the the song because originally it was, it's obviously it's riff, but in the movie, I can't remember the character who, right. I'm not even thinking that that actually changes who's, singing of course i was just gonna say to you it's riff and then i'm like oh my gosh but what's interesting is when so when riff does it in the show obviously it's right before their work council and you can tell he actually is like okay we we gotta be cool and he's very contained but in the film the character who's singing it he has this crazy look in his eyes that you can totally tell that he is just like obviously damaged even possibly even more damaged or affected by what just happened than anybody but he has to step up and be like we got to keep it together. They made it so much more effective. Yeah, that's what's so interesting, right? Is when you said like this this thing of, you know, keep it together. All those scenes where either police officer or Lieutenant Trent comes in or in the gym where they like in a snap are like hands around each other, hands around each mm-hmm. other. And yet can't see past one second past that to be like, I just touched this person. I, I'm standing near this person. You mm-hmm. know, I, 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 I was moved by that. That in a second, they're like, Oh, we'll make believe, but God forbid we should do it for real. Another song that was moved. I know I feel pretty was moved. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it because I was reminding myself where it was. It's the, it was the op- on stage. It's the first song in act two, mm-hmm. which is an incredible place for that song to be because she's blissfully ignorant of what's going on. And I think there's so much like in- like heartbreak in that juxtaposition. Yeah, and on stage it, it, it's interesting because it's such a switch. You know, we come in, she's singing I Feel Pretty, and then immediately after that, she's told that Bernardo was killed. Yeah. And I like that they do what they do in the film because it feels more secluded almost. Like she's in her own head and she does the dance and you can hear the music and it's, yeah. it's very quiet and she's perfectly alone. And then Chino comes to tell her what happened. I like the progression of it a little bit more. And also, I feel like I feel pretty. I like that in in the film again. She's you know kind of having this moment with her sisters and saying how much she loves Tony and in like his job and yeah, and is so bright and so gleeful about it. Yeah. So that when Tony actually does show up, you're like, oh, okay, this actually was building to that. And I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. In Officer Krupke, it makes sense that that was in the you know, before the war council, because you kind of need some comedic levity to. to yeah. And that, ri- and that rile up the final lyrics in that one. Yeah. Crap. You. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> yeah. Although hot take, I would be fine if it wasn't in the show. I've never been the biggest fan of that song, but I understand like why it's, <laughs> why it's there. And like, it's got some great physical comedy. It reminds me a lot of singing in the rain when they do that. Like it doesn't do anything to the story for me. No, it's not, it's not, it's, it's certainly not advancing 
um, advancing the story, although you, you know, it is looking at who's in charge of helping troubled youth. It is mm-hmm. the push along. I mean, I think that is ultimately the, you know, it can't just, it can't just be there as comic relief. We have to buy into it somehow. And really it is this, you know, ultimately who's helping the, these troubled teens. Oh, it's pushed to this person's fault. Oh, it's this person. Oh, we'll just put them in jail. We're not going to actually teach them what it means to be tolerant of people. We're just going to keep shoving them into situations. It's a good point. All right. You yeah. convinced me. Um. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, because I mean, I think that's really what it, that's what the message is in that song. No, that's, that, that is a, a very good point. You actually said something earlier about Lieutenant Shrank that I actually took note of that what's really cool and Shrank doesn't do a whole lot in the story. He's, he yeah. almost feels kind of there at some points. Yeah. But what is cool or interesting is that he is the only thing that the two groups can mutually agree on or come together on. That, you know, once he once he's around, we don't want to get caught. We got to just, we, we, can, yeah. we can come together for that one moment. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's, that's actually kind of interesting and ironic in a way, but it, it's cool that they can find middle ground, but then. Yeah, if only there were, there were other, there were other scenarios for them. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Talking about the choreography paired to that is the music. And I feel like Leonard Bernstein and Stontheim are a, a match made in heaven for, oh. for this show. And I mean, you could talk about both of them respectively for hours, just as a overview. How do you think this music stays timeless? Like, what is it about the composition and the songs and the lyrics? Uh, like, they're obviously they've become so recognized at this point. What is it about them that can still, um, you know, reach people and makes the music listened to over and over again for all these years? God, that's a great question. But sometimes it's hard to say, right? It's just somehow it just touches you. But in the song Maria, right, he uses this musical interval called the tritone. Mm-hmm. I don't think it had really been heard. I want to say like even they may have even tried to get them to change it. It's not what your ear expects. And, and the funniest is like, you know, now when, when you study like music th- theory for, they'll, they'll definitely, you know, teach you like certain, I'm, I'm going off path, but they'll teach you like, you know, what's a major, a major fifth or what's a minor third. And they'll often give you like a famous jingle or something so that you can remember in your head. So they might be like, and B, C, N, B, you know, that, what's that interval? Oh, okay, great. I'll always remember that. Maria, that's the yeah. one. It's tritone. Like, that's the one that you're just like, oh, it's so specific to that. And then somewhere, there's a place for us, right? That's a minor seventh. And the craziest is this. You ask any musical theater major, what sound a New York City subway makes when it's leaving the station. It is the weirdest thing, but it hits those intervals. And you sing somewhere. <laughs> it's the weirdest. It's so bizarre. But like for years, I would hear it and I'd be like, Am I, I must be the only one hearing this. And then you'd start to ask people, they're like, no, it's somewhere. Um, <laughs> they're just like, it's such a classic. But yeah, the, how, how, what, what makes it classic? So I guess you hear the tension. I mean, we've talked to this, but like you can hear tension. And so I guess in the sort of suite of all the music that because you hear so much tension, then when you hear the love songs, how dare I say simple because they're not simple, but <laughs> the, the language of love. And then maybe those two things juxt- juxtapose against each other. 
makes us love it even more. That is incredibly interesting. I never thought about having somewhere being found in a New York subway. Um, yeah. That's that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, music is found everywhere, right? I, I can't really think of another musical that is like West Side Story. It like there are so many iconic melodies. Like even just oh. in the beginning, like da 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 da. Like everyone knows that. Yeah. Da 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 da. One two mm-hmm. three four five six one two three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Everyone, you know, everyone knows the music and the fact that they were able, they are able to tap into specific emotions with each character that are so different through each song. Like no song necessarily sounds like the next. It's true. Mm -hmm. And I don't, there's no song that you're like, ah, skip it. (laughs) You were bordering on Krupke, but for me. I I don't, there's not one on the album that I'd be like, I don't want to hear this one. And even like the overture or the on track oh, yeah. or, you know, all of it. You, I still want to hear it all. That build up into the dance. Oh, mm-hmm. Of course the skirts are turning and they're turning in that motion. You hear that in the music. They were able to just capture it where it melds so perfectly with the action that you're seeing and the tone. Like, I love that I feel pretty and... Maria have the same objective that a song should, but they're done so differently because of who the characters are and where they are in that moment. And I mean, there are like five or six songs from this show that could be considered as like, you know, the top 20 greatest musical theater songs of all time. Yeah. From an actor, you know, like there's the viewer's perspective and then there's like from the actor's perspective, it's like a meat to chew on. Right. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking, and it almost literally brings me to tears. I have a love, the duet between I have a love and a boy mm-hmm. like that is incredible. Just this storytelling of this must be a horrible person. This is a horrible person of somebody that would do that is terrible. And she's coming back with this. I know you felt love and I know you, I know you know what that is. And I love the moment, like you said, right after that with a boy like that, because you can clearly see Maria convincing Anita for her love for for Tony and again I hadn't that hadn't left an impact on me the first time or even like you know the second time I had seen the show Mm. and now this time I was like oh wow they're actually through the blocking and the stage direction and the melody because they come in with that harmony you know just immediately like oh they're actually now she's convinced her and like, but then she, later she's proven wrong and it's like, oh my God, it's, it's so, it, it's great drama. Yeah, it is great drama. And you know, yeah, cause musically they're really like punt, you know, it's, it's there until that part where they really are right at the end are singing harmony. And then it's not just the idea of their singing harmony, but like the harmony representing this coming together, you know, which is ultimately what we want the gangs to do. Right. But that they have this coming together that they can see each other's point of view mm-hmm. and, and, and feel empathy for each other in their situation. And, but musically before that harmony, it's like one part of the song is trying to jam into the other. And yet, I mean, they musically sound like they allied incredibly and yet they're just like dancing at this game. Yeah. There is conflict within the music. And I, yes. I love that. I love that you bring that up. And I mean, even like, especially in tonight, just from oh. the four different perspectives going on. The though quintet, it seems yeah, it seems as though they're all singing the same melody, but they're they're definitely not. Like the um, the 
you know, there's the Jets are going to have their way tonight and then tonight, tonight. And then uh, the, the minutes feel like hours and then Anita's part. And then, I mean, I love any musical theater song that has six different parts and then they come together. And it's like a giant cacophony. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's like my favorite thing in theater. Incredible how it comes together. That's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. That's a masterpiece. You know, like a masterpiece of full company coming together. Oh, mm-hmm. masterpiece. Yeah. I love it. I love tonight. It's probably, it's probably my favorite song in the show, but like I said, it's very, very difficult to, yeah. um, to pick. I-, I think another strength of that because of, you know, the, the music is, it's beautiful to listen to, but I would imagine it's probably very difficult to sing and very difficult to learn because of how succinct it is. And it's very layered and the structure of it is very, very tight and doing so many different things in terms of theory and rhythms that, you know, I've always struggled with rhythm singing. I did Les Mis when I was a senior in high school and my yes. God, it was so tough. <laughs> so I can't even imagine doing this. That, that is a, a tremendous uh, praise that I can give the actors of this film and whoever, you know, the voices who dubbed those who were dubbed, uh, yeah. you know, they nailed it. And the physical actors are so convincing in their portrayals, their relationships with one another and the, the chemistry, like I love, you know, I mean, just like Griff and Tony, just on their own, you could feel the brotherhood between them and yes. Tony and Maria. They're instantly the way they do, you know, the scene at the dance where mm. everything around them fades <gasps> out way. and then oh. they come together and then it becomes black with just like little colored lights in the background. Like yeah. that was like, like literally it's going to sound cheesy, but that was like love on screen. Like that was yeah. literally like. It is. It is because that's it. It really did. It embodied that idea of like, you feel like everything everything fades away and and not not just love at first sight but certainly love at first sight and first love yeah. where it's just like everything is just gone and you only see that that that's described as they did it in that film yeah and then obviously because then the dance switches to the to the little dance that they do as opposed to the big the mamba which is uh which is yeah. wonderful uh, they they made such interesting choices with the casting particularly that of Natalie Wood and yeah. Rita Moreno, and uh, who played Bernardo? What's his name? George. Um, um, yeah, George. I feel like it was a CH. I, ha- I have it written down here because, interestingly enough, oh, George Chakiris. I'm not sure yes. how you say it. George Chakiris, yes. Because I had looked it up, and, it, and I don't know if you saw it. When they were casting it, I was curious, you know, okay, the play is 1957, and my first sort of dive in was like, oh, gosh, why didn't they cast? Cheetah Rivera. I kind of went down that rabbit hole again. Like, oh yeah, why didn't they, you know, and then I was kind of looking around for the casting again. And I'm sure age was a part of it. And A, they were obviously filming a handful of years later, but on stage, you can certainly get away with somebody still looking young in a different way than you can on film. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. and therein lies a potential, not always, but a potential difficult time for casting mm-hmm. because you may not have someone as seasoned if they're younger, potentially, but this guy, George, he played riff. You do a little, do, just do, did you, mm-hmm. you know that? Yeah. He played yeah, riff. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. crazy in the yeah. London production. Yeah. What a wild perspective for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally got both sides of the aisle and playing in this show. And he's great. The way that he moves and like his attitude towards everyone else's, he has a leader, like you can very see he has oh, a, a very, leadership quality to him. Totally. And that kind of gets into a more difficult question that I, I feel is important to bring up um, because obviously 
this film used brown face and um, makeup complexions to make actors look darker. The West Side Story in general has been criticized for its portrayal of Puerto Ricans uh, and Latin Americans. And I was just curious in, I, I wasn't as receptive to that the first time mm-hmm. that I had watched it. Cause again, it's more so about the, the actual technical stuff. And I mean, right. I, technically this movie I feel is perfect. I, I don't really see anything wrong with the directing or the way that it's yeah, filmed technically. No, but I feel like this is an important thing to bring up because of the fact that the show is continually put into syndication and comes up so much. Does the use of brownface or the absence of Latino actors in this film or in you know subsequent productions of it dampen your experience with it or make the message not come through as easy um, to like what was um, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, it's interesting. I mean, I'm speaking first to you know knowing there's a, a remake coming out, n- knowing there were these um, in 2009 on Broadway there was the revival, and I didn't see this new one. And mm-hmm. it just opened tail end of 19. But, you know, I, I know that they're looking at it as it should be looked at. I mean, the story is about multi-ethnicity and putting one against the other. And I, I will say it doesn't dampen my experience of watching this movie. It was 1961, right? Mm-hmm. I think, right? It doesn't dampen my experience watching it. But it does make me question a lot. Mm-hmm. But I don't look at it saying... What's wrong with them? Why didn't they do this? And I know we're doing things right if we're saying we should be looking at this and noticing these things. And I think we must watch it now looking at that and saying that was a time and place. And why couldn't they cast more truly diverse? Were they not aware of it? Were, were they not seeing people of ethnicity? Like, we're, I'd be curious to know, like, were they even allowed, was there like an allowance? Were they seeing people audition that were Latina or Puerto Rican? I, I don't know. It's definitely not an easy question to, to answer. Not. And I'm I'm not expecting us to break through and find some no, answer. No, no, here. no, no, no. Uh, it's, it's, de- it's just something to bring up. And I definitely agree that like when you watch this movie, it's uh, context is everything. It's important to keep in mind that this movie was made in 1961. And during a time when if, there was a character of darker skin color, they would use white actors and make their skin look darker. That is something that happened. That is awful. And it's important to understand that now, okay, they did that then. We should move forward and understand that we are better now and we have learned from that. And we can put on this new movie, like even Spielberg, who's directing this new one, has said he wants to be as authentic as he possibly can cast all Latinx actors for the sharks. Beautiful. Which is wonderful. And it, and it is interesting. I, it didn't, it doesn't dampen my, the message coming through the message of this movie still comes through. The only thing where it like really bugs me, or maybe not bugs me, but like kind of hits me is like Natalie Wood is fantastic. She's a very bright and wonderful presence in this movie. Yes. But it's not the right. Her, her accent takes me out of it. Right. Her, her use of an accent is very distracting because I, I know what Natalie Wood sounds like yeah. and I know what kind of actress she is. So seeing her do this, it it doesn't make sense. It, it just, it, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's a beauty that they made a piece about this topic, like an absolute beauty that they were able to make it and bring it to light in that way. And it, what, I mean, gosh, wouldn't it have been completely 
and wholly incredible if they could have cast it that way too at the time. I mean, that would have been completely revolutionary. Game changing. Game changing. And mm-hmm. gosh, I like, I wish, I wish the powers could have made it so mm-hmm. because that would have been game changing. But I think to speak to the fact that in 1961, they were writing about this topic to say, look at yourself, look at these groups fighting against each other that are getting nowhere, you know, and maybe people were touched and could see in themselves and could identify bigotry in themselves. So I I do think we have to look at it and say there was meaning for it, you know, Mm -hmm. but I I would completely agree that whilst Natalie Wood does, you know, she looks beautiful and she's heartfelt and all of that. She's not the right choice. And I I don't necessarily know at the time who would have been a better choice. I mean, you can play the what if game all you want, but it's just something I I feel that needs to be brought up because it is, it is very distracting. Now that also being said, I do completely buy the love that she has for, um, for Tony. They both act very, very well, but that's just, that's just something that uh, obviously needs to, needs to be brought up. And it's funny because I don't, and I don't know if the, the characters are meant to obviously be, you know, 17, 18, years old and probably in many ways, 14, 15. And I don't buy that when I watch the movie, but I have to say, I don't necessarily go into it thinking I'm about to watch a show that's with, you know, high school kids. I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh, these characters are probably, they're more like in their young twenties, mid twenties. So again, I'll be curious to see the new West Side Story by Steven Spielberg because he's also casting incredibly young. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a beautiful take to see. Yeah, I, I when I went into it, it hadn't fully dawned on me like, okay, these characters are supposed to be, because I mean, you, you understand that they're supposed to be in school at some point. I, I just kind of did like a kind of blanket statement of like, this is like of the youth. Just I wasn't necessarily thinking of yeah. like specific age groups because yeah. I like that they don't explicitly say that because no, if they correct. did, if I did, like they were like, you're supposed to be 15. Like Riff doesn't look 15. Like he definitely yeah. looks a little bit older. Same with Tony, but like you can tell it's like these kids are so young they don't have any actual experience and they're yeah. getting themselves into a conflict that they don't actually fully understand yeah. and know the ramifications of their actions. Yeah. Which is obviously a, a, um, a conscious choice and a smart choice that they made for the story. And I really like yeah. what you said about how they did take the chance and to tell a story about these opposing groups that was relevant then and still relevant now. I mean, even oh. I, I pulled up, I pulled up this fact about how Leonard Bernstein had been blacklisted for alleged communist activities yeah. Um, had had worked with Robbins, even though he had cooperated with the House and Un-American Activities Committee. And uh, obviously Bernstein and Robbins and Sondheim were all gay. Yeah. I mean, they're all marginalized people. Which is very ironic, given the given the source material and given the, the subject itself. Correct. I had read something about that when this original, you know, when they originally started writing, it was actually between, it was different groups. So it was starting as conflict between Jewish and, and I'm not sure if it was um, Italian or Polak, but it was definitely, there was not the Puerto Rican Mm -hmm. Latin contingency initially when it started. But again, isn't that interesting? All men, all, all gay, all Jewish, you know, to have no one on a team that's of any varying culture is pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, like uh, for for sure. There's a lot to get into with the analysis, and I mean, uh, why don't we just go there? Why don't you want to just go in into it? it? We, there's because we need to. 
I, I feel like we can talk critically about this movie. Like we're, we're basically going to end up going in circles because we love it so much. And the, yeah, and the I mean, music and right. So let's let's go into analyze this. This is, I feel, where we can get into the actual meat of the story and what is being said. There are sections of it where it is very clear that it is, a, it is an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. You can tell that, okay, there's the two feuding families and the idea of these two characters coming together and despite all of the two sides hate for each other, that they find love mm. is not necessarily something that we... I hate, I hate to use this, like, it's not new, but it still works. You know, it's a story that we could recognize and we could still get into because yeah, of... you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It's and just you... re retelling. Yeah, and you said that earlier. It is something that we do enjoy um, seeing time and time again. But I, like I said, I do love the progression of the story, especially like after Officer Krupke, when the rumble starts to actually like the plans and the the actual acts start to go down because the, yeah. the stakes are raised. Like the actual, oh. the, the, the ideas are coming through a little bit more as opposed to just, this is a territorial beef. We gotta, we gotta claim yeah. our turf. You know, it's actually, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, there's actually something much more. It's that these kids are having their first real experience with outside feelings and they don't really know how to, how to deal with them. In a, yeah, they in don't an have a place way. to put them. They're certainly not, they're certainly they're not given a chance to, you know, work them out at home. Right. You know, everyone at home, you get the sense, although you're not seeing those relationships, right? But mm -hmm. you get the sense that everybody's trying to make a buck, trying to live, trying to put food on the table, both sides, and yet they can't come together over that, you know? Right. And some of them are coming from rough situations. I would imagine some being hurt at home physically, mm -hmm. mentally, probably, right? I mean, there's no talk about that per se, but it's tough. Well, the only like kind of uh, glimpse that we get is like how action is very protective of how his, um, how his family or particularly his mother is spoken of. And right. he's very sensitive about that. Mm. So he clearly has some emotional turmoil that he just doesn't know how to how to grapple with, which kind of like when, it, when you think about it, I literally just had this thought right now and it may not have a whole lot of merit, but if that's the case and there's clearly, there's some repressed feelings going on and they don't really know how to grapple with these emotions, then be cool. That song has kind of a whole other meaning for that. That that's just like, Oh no, just be cool. Like just kind of keep it in, you know, don't show it. Oh yeah, and no, don't show it. Very, very depressing and very scary. Like that that's their that's their mentality. That's what they know. Oh yeah, don't show you no way. You don't show your emotions. Mm -hmm. You put you punch your emotions. Yeah, that's interesting. I literally just thought of that right now. So I, you're always finding new interpretations in places. Um Yeah, I mean <laughs> even that like but like I wonder, you know, I mean that word suppress, right? I mean, it's so and you hear it musically, that feeling of suppression. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so much, so much is about the lack of skill or know how to express oneself in a way that's not going to hurt someone else physically, verbally, mentally. And I think, and that kind of makes the rumble itself, which is a, a brilliant scene, more impactful because I mean, the fact that Tony is already set up as this character who's more of an adult figure. Yeah. 
and someone who's kind of like, he's the only one with a job. He's the only one who has like kind of a sense of attachment to who's connected to his feelings and emotions. The fact that he can sense that something good is coming. Yes. Which is amazing. And when he goes to the rumble and is trying to stop it, like you, you feel for him. Like he, he is putting like, the, the actor who plays Tony is putting so much emotion into like trying to make this stop. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. That crack, that crack is actually a really special part of, of the show. He's mm-hmm. trying so hard to, to make the right choices. And then so he sees somebody in front of him getting killed and he's like, I, I have to defend. And it's not even, not even just oh. somebody, it's his best friend that yeah. was just killed. And he's, and he's the only one who doesn't really have like hatred or bigotry. No, or- and I wonder about him. Like, I wonder, I want to like, kind of go back to like pre what happens like the six months before the start of West side story. Like <laughs> what's Tony, you know, he has a sense of like something come in and he, he's able to get a job, but like, did he get in trouble a little bit more? Or was he like always on the edge? Cause he's right up there with being a leader. It's not like, Mm-hmm. You know, he's right up there with the best friend. His best friend is Riff. So how is he dancing on the outskirts, if you will, without them turning to him and being like, you're at, like, screw you, you're out. I always assumed that he was more prevalent in the Jets at one point, but that time has since passed. Not that he's completely out because he obviously is still friends with them. Yeah. But you see him away from the Jets more than you do with them there's only Absolutely. like three scenes where he's actually like with them fully um, yeah. like even at the dance he's on the outside of the of the gym and that's one thing that you, no, you love about you. him sorry yeah sorry. I'm gonna, no i'm because I'm, i just have this feeling of like we never hear him him meaning tony defend the sharks or am i correct in that like we don't ever hear him say they're okay just leave them alone you know do we ever hear that I don't, I don't think so, but it's very clear that he doesn't want to get involved in the conflict. No, for sure. Like he doesn't, he's not like instigating and he's not, and he's not, um, and he, right. And it's like, he's like, I, I don't want to get involved, but I'm curious to know if he goes that one step further where it's like. Yes. Yeah, to my knowledge, he doesn't, he doesn't say like he yeah. isn't sympathetic or apathetic towards the, yeah. towards the sharks. He's just, I think he's mainly just in it for Maria and the love and hopefully that like this conflict can just be be done which is yeah. why when he screams maria at the end oh. of the rumble is so good um and I, I also kind of iconic at this point because of just that just immediate raw emotion you literally don't know what to say and more what to do and he just has to go back to his and love sp- and his sense of security speaking of screaming at the end when he when he screams at the very end and he's like come and get me chino come and get me come and get me that when he's just like walking around saying i don't care i don't care Oh, that part. And then when they see each other, Mm -hmm. Tony and Maria, oh, yeah, my heart melts. This was the one time where I was like, maybe he makes it to her. Like, maybe he'll like get to her this time. And then like, no, (laughs) he doesn't. And it's like, oh, man, he was so close to like embracing her and then leaving. And then Chino just came in and just destroyed everything. Although that is an interesting adaptation that I like they did from Romeo and Juliet to this is that. One of them lives and one of them dies. They don't both die. They give us some sense of hope. Yeah. Well, not even just sense of hope. I feel like it kind of hammers it in more. Like, it, it, imagine, like, if, okay, so if both of wow. them died, if both of them died in that moment, then what happens is 
the two gangs gather around each are other. back at it again. And then uh, either that or they just kind of look and then end up parting ways. Anyway, it's so much more emotionally impactful that Maria survives and then, you know, takes the gun and is yelling at oh. Chino and all of them. Uh, oh. Which that like hammered home to me. It was like, what is this all for? Like what, right. what did it cost for you guys to do this? And that sets it in with the camera like panning back and, or um, yeah, zooming back and then everyone just kind of dispersing. And it was just like, oh man, I forgot this ended this way. <laughs> I know I forgot too. And then it makes me think like, what, what is going to happen between Maria and Anita? Mm-hmm. Like, does that get healed? What happens? I don't know. Well, they've both been through very <laughs> traumatic I know, and experiences. We see, and because we see, of course, Maria doesn't see it, but we see as the audience, we see that terrible spot where she was put, mm-hmm. where she's really, truly trying to do her best. And, and when she's trying, she's already been put in a horrible position now she's trying to do her best to save Tony and get them together. And then the jets just destroy her. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of an interesting parallel between her and Maria in that moment. Is that like, because they had like, we, the, we talked about earlier when Maria and Anita kind of meet that mutual understanding for one another yeah. um, after they sing, you know, she tries to go and help Tony and then there's the attempted rape. And so she, has just lost all hope for like for oh. the Jets and for Tony. And then the fact that Maria, one of her own, kills the man that she loves, and now she is kind of separated from her own group. So there's kind of, there's an interesting separation between uh, or I parallel know. between those two characters in that sense. It'd be amazing to do like don't give away my idea. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking it could be like an amazing like to take certain characters that are so in the forefront of our, you know, mind when it comes to famous musicals or famous plays or something, right? And like, think about those scenarios. Like, what happens to them? Mm-hmm. It would be a fascinating carry, you know. And it's not like saying it's oh, it's the part two of West Side Story. It's not. It's just like taking those experiences, and I don't know. Do not take well, my. There's our there's every- our new podcast, Stacey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do it as a, a whole podcast. new whole new show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagining like what those characters' lives mm-hmm. became. I mean, I like the ambiguousness of it that they just leave it on. Oh, for the sure. Scene itself. Um, no, it is it is fascinating for sure. But I love that, and I talked about this with Michelle in the uh, Fiddler episodes that. I love when musicals are daring enough to end on a somber note and it makes it so much more Oh my gosh. It's, I mean, think about leaving. If you got to see that on Broadway when it premiered in 1957 and you're walking out like, Oh, (laughs) right. Like Mm -hmm. heavy. You're right. Just you're so confident in the story you just told that I can just let you sit and think about it. Yeah. And because even in, and especially in, in film at this time, you know, films put out by major studios like Paramount, United Artists, um, Warner Brothers, MGM, they, the epics had a book ending, a positive ending. 
um, for the most part. And especially the musical. The musical was the biggest outlet for escapism in film at this time. The musical comedy. It was just, it was very much like, let's just go and watch some people, you know, sing and dance, have some laughs. And then it's going to end in some, you know, more. Not West Side Story. Not West Side Story. (laughs) And so. We're going to get you. And even like that. And some of my, and I've said it before, you know, some of my favorite musicals, like Next to Normal and Rent, as heavy as they can be, have a hopeful ending to them. This, I mean, sure, you can argue that, like, okay, Maria survived and she's going to go off and the conflict is technically over, but it's still so heavy. And I feel, like, just distraught after it. Like, yeah, it's not a whole lot of musicals that, at least for the, the time, would dare to do that. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. And I remember like, even like in, in, in high school. And then when I did it professionally, I could see the gal playing Maria, you know, you, you finish the show and it, it, it takes, it takes a minute to, to recover. It does. Yeah. Because of the setup and the scenario, you know, you're, it's, you're really in it. And just, just, you know, shake that off at the end is definitely has to be part of your routine because it's a lot, it's a lot to carry. In talking about another theme, you know, of the film is that I feel like the general public like thinks that the, the Jets are the good guys and the Sharks are the bad guys or something like that. But if you watch the movie, what's interesting is that you connect. Okay, so you connect with the Jets pretty early on, like especially with you know when you're a Jet, you're a Jet all the way. Yeah, that's yeah. A, such a fun. That's a fun song. And Tony is a cool guy, and Riff is like you know they they have a good you know brotherhood. But you also realize that the sharks are also coming from a very interesting place and like position in life because of obviously with their, uh, with immigration and coming to a new place and a place where they are very clearly at a, at a disadvantage and you, and it's easy to feel for them. And again, because of that, and I mean, we're also as the American audience, we are very set or accustomed to being like good guy, bad guy. Fight. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes. The the rumble is not actually the, the purpose of this show or like the actual fight there, I feel, is the, the more of it is that what what you're seeing is wrong and this only gets us into more trouble. Yeah, hate begets hate here, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I feel that it continues to be relevant, especially now there's just so much hate and so much like opposition towards groups in America that are just in the world in general that we we can't actually stop and realize like and swallow our pride and just be like oh this actually is not do this is actually going to cause it's us not more getting harm. us anywhere yeah yeah it's not getting us anywhere C- completely and correct you can look at so I mean you could rewrite this for so many different groups mm-hmm. you could rewrite it for you know Jews and Palestinians and it's going to live the same exact way. So it's incre- that's part of why we see it as timeless because it might be a diff- two different groups culturally or political group and you can shift it in. And sometimes, and it depends, it really depends on obviously you as a person and, and who the two sides are, but not seeing one, I, I respect this idea of not seeing one as there's no good or bad. They're mm-hmm. both unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> They're both unfortunate. And that, as an outsider, I can see both sides and say, oh, I see where they're each coming from, the struggle for each side. Oh, well, let's look for our similarities, not what highlights our differences. Mm-hmm. How can we be stronger? We can be st- stronger, obviously, together. 
and you don't have that perspective, particularly when you're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. And especially, I mean, obviously it, it does depend on where coming from in terms of your own personal background and, and history. Um, For sure. Cause you have that character of doc, you know, he's an interesting character. He's the only really like the only adult that's saying it's such a waste, like a waste of energy. It's a waste of what do we do? What are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. he, he seems pretty neutral. Yeah. You know, I mean, could he have done more? I'm sure. But his perspective from an age standpoint, I think he's the one saying like, I've seen this before. I've mm-hmm. seen this with other groups. Like it's not going to end well. Or even like the idea that Lieutenant Shrank is someone who is kind of perpetuating it and like wants to, he wants to be at the rumble and wants to know all of this. Like it's. Cause it suddenly makes him feel important. Right. In his, in his task force. Mm-hmm. Suddenly he's look all big and mighty. And it's, uh, well, yeah, which is, <laughs> is really gross. Uh, it is gross to think about that. Mm-hmm. But that, that to me is the main thing that sticks out as the, as the takeaway for it. Cause Romeo and Juliet for me, always like the takeaway from it was always more so about the love story. Yeah. And that was the, you know, their love lasted and was like meant to be and like was always going to be there. And like, that's true. And that's the more prevalent theme of that. But I like that this story took the, the love story and made it the center or the outlet of this actual figure. Oh, message yes. and the theme Absolutely. of that comes through so much better it's more clear but i i also just admire the the creativity surrounding it and putting that they put in to make it uh come through you know we've spent a lot of time talking about this musical and there's there's a lot there's a lot to go into and and it's hard to summarize it but for every episode we try and answer this question um, oh boy why do why do we love this movie and how does it add to our love of film? And you can obviously answer it if you want to answer it for the movie, for film, or if you want to answer it as how I love the show, West Side Story, and how it adds to my love of theater. But how is it an example for you of what you want to get out of a work of art? I said this earlier, this idea of, you know, this musical, and, and it's interesting, I can speak to it from being an actor, right, and being a, an audience member, but so from, from an actor's perspective, this is a meaty requirement to sing and dance and act. You know, it's not the body of like, oh, there's the back chorus that's, you know, dancing and you can kind of fake it. So that combination, I think, is one of the things that made this so, so revolutionary. And Jerome Robbins' choreography, the idea that choreography could tell this much of a story in a way that almost directed the entire show. So I feel like it shaped the idea of what choreography looks like on a show and how dance can be interpreted. Does that make sense? You know, like Mm -hmm. it's so to me, like I think of dance as, and it still is as expansive. And whilst it's obviously still has that sensibility, this whole show to me is contracted mm-hmm. like it's it's contracted it's tight it's muscular it's bound and that's all that energy you know you get moments of it and in, in cool and everything so i think that sort of revolutionized to me the musical 
and that's kind of one of the reasons why I love it, especially in terms of a musical fan. Is it feels like, I, and one of the reasons why I feel it's one of the greatest musicals of all time is just because of how every single aspect of it seems to be like at like complete top notch. Like when, like when it's made, like the music itself is timeless and brilliant, and I can't even like imagine how someone could possibly write that but like every song is so well crafted the choreography obviously yeah the choreography obviously like we said is just another part of um the storytelling and in terms like it's action but also like the dialogue is classic musical theater dialogue where it's like one line per character and they're firing (laughs) off at like all different points and i i love that i'm such a dialogue guy so when i heard that i was like yes this is great this is also oh, like God, music, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just the the emotion behind it. There's like everything is genuine, and the message um, that it that it that it gives off. And, and in terms of a movie, I I've always loved epic grand scale movies, especially yeah. from this time period. There's just a feel like you can tell that this movie was made on a soundstage, but in a good way. Like you mm. can just it just has that feel to it. It has mm. a certain sound to it, and some of the effects like the like. The effect of Maria spinning and then the colors become translucent and then it turns red and then they're in the gym is like just brilliant. And I love that it's classic Hollywood. Like it just makes me think back to the old days of MGM and United Artists and all of those studios just putting out the biggest possible stories like Ben Hur or something like that. It it, it's such a place in cinema history and, and I love it. I loved seeing that the expanse of and usage of, you know, playgrounds and back alleys and streets. And like, we talked about so much of that, just those clips that could go, those dance sequences that could just seamlessly go into, through a building, out the building, onto the street, through the playground. And I was just thinking about like the, remember when Tony leaps over at the, at the end of the rumble and he's sort of kind of bound like a, like an animal in the, in the cage of, right. Mm-hmm. And the spotlight sort of at him and anybody's is like, come on, come on, come on. And how he gets over the fence, mm-hmm. the gate and how he climbs. But it's like this beautiful, like balletic over the top. And yet I'm not like, Oh, that was, it was just like incredible. Like, so all that expanse to use all that expanse. And like you said, I mean, that's like very Hollywood ask. Yeah. <laughs> But I would imagine in the remake that we're going to see, he's going Steven Spielberg is going to be using all sorts of like all that New York because thankfully he at least I think it was all finished filming. I, I believe so, yeah, and I I am definitely excited to see what he does because at first I was like, do we need another West Side Story? But after seeing this, um, I mean, this movie is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but I am curious to see what they could do to bring it to a modern world with all that next actors and seeing how that message comes through because of the politically charged climate that we live in. It, it, know, it feels he, relevant. Is he? No, he is making it. It's still going to be placed in the, in the sixties. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, and I feel like we, also with modern filmmaking techniques and I mean, Spielberg yeah, is just yeah, an epic that. guy with like, you know, the camera's going to be more moving and like, yeah. I, 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 I'm just, I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah. All that. I mean, and I'm most, I'm most excited to see it as it truly should be done with a diverse, mm-hmm. a diverse cast of many colors. Yes, 
Absolutely agree. That would make the most sense. Thank you so much for stopping by. We really, really appreciate this. Fantastic. Everybody go listen to <laughs> West Side Story. Thank you, Stacey. Oh, thanks, Josh. That does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies from Stage to Screen. We want to give a huge thank you to our special guest, Stacey Morgan Lewis, for taking the time to talk with us. She is such a delight. On top of her stage credits of Wicked, You're in Town, and Titanic, she also co-wrote an album with Dear Evan Hansen musical director Ben Cohen, and she created Harmonize Kids, an art enrichment program that uses music to teach social-emotional learning to elementary students. Please go check them out. It's a great organization. Their website is www.harmonizekids.com. Harmonize Kids is spelled H-A-R-M-O-N-I-Z-E-K-I-D-Z. And also be sure to listen to Ravnica Avengers, Orion Valley Productions' very own Real Play D&D podcast. Their second season is picking up steam with a brand new episode this Thursday, July 2nd, available wherever you get your podcasts. I gotta say, it is a ton of fun. You definitely want to get caught up and check that out, the new episode, Thursday, July 2nd. If you want more fun, Frankly I Love Movies updates, please go follow us on social media. On Facebook, we are at Frankly I Love Movies. At Twitter, we are at Frankly Podcast. And you can follow me, Josh Wall, at joshvelljosh21 on Instagram if you want new, exciting updates on what's going on in my life in picture form. And finally, in two weeks, be sure to come back to hear my buddy Brendan Jacob Smith and I talk about the highs and the lows of the religious rock musical Jesus Christ Superstar. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Music